This is part one of the two-part episode, Beware, School Awards Are a Terror, written by Aaron Robbins. This episode is intended for Daring Ears 9 and older. On a scale where one is not scary at all, the kids' scare score for this episode is a 6 out of 10. Welcome to Mr. Eerie's Mystery Series. My name is Edward Eerie, Chief Uncoverneer at Mr. Eerie's Disturbing Detective Agency. If you're experiencing something odd or unusual, give my agency a ring and leave a message on the machine. For those unconvinced of our proficiency in handling peculiar predicaments, please listen to the following client testimonial message, which speaks to our terror-untangling abilities. Please note, our answering machine alters the age and tone of the caller's voice in case a mimic machine or grim personator is listening. And now, another mysterious message left on my machine. Mr. Eerie's disturbing detective agency. Please leave a message with a detailed account of your odd or unusual occurrence. If you've just eaten at a Mr. Hall's Meatballs Big and Tall and are seeking strategies for beating the exploding meatball challenge, please dial extension 12. If you are looking for a qualified exploding meatball clothes cleaner, we suggest calling Professor Pips Dine and Shine. All other callers should provide an address so further information can reach you free of eavesdropping ears. Now prepare yourself for the beep waits for no one. Hello, Mr. Erie. My name is Ben, or Benjamin if you prefer. You sound like the kind of person who prefers to use someone's full name. Benjamin Parker, that's me, and I'm about to make a phone call. And worse, I know the person is going to answer it. I hope they don't, but who am I kidding? They're waiting by the phone. I'm going to call and they're going to say just what they did before. But how do I respond? How do I end the conversation? That's the question. And Mr. Erie, please don't tell me it's all made up or some big misunderstanding, because it's not. It happened. Or it's happening. It all started four days ago. No, that's not really true. It started the last week of school. Maybe even before that. Here's what happened. Juniper Middle School. That's where I go. It's a three-year middle school, and I just finished my second year. That makes me a soon-to-be eighth grader if you're keeping score. Apparently, I wasn't, quote-unquote, motivated during sixth grade. At least that's what my teacher said during conference week. So at the beginning of this last year, I decided to turn it all around. I was going to stop playing games and start getting serious. And I did. Most improved student in the seventh grade. That's the award my parents say I would have won if my school gave out awards. Maybe they're right. My parents, that is. Because at the end of the year, my grades were better. I even had a vowel letter grade in two classes. And my attendance. Well, I got that under control, too. Attendance. Can you believe that's something they still track in seventh grade? I should be allowed to show up when I want. As long as my grades don't suffer, of course. At least, that's what I used to think. 
because I have to admit, showing up did help my grades. So I didn't miss a lot of school this year. In fact, come to think of it, that's where all this trouble started. Maybe I should have missed more. Maybe I should have skipped seventh grade altogether. That way I wouldn't be afraid of the phone, afraid of what happens next. Let me see if I can connect the dots for you, Mr. Erie. It was the last week of school during lunch. All my friends were doing end-of-the-year activities, so I was eating alone. I was sitting at one of those rubber-coated picnic benches when Ezra Vale came up to me. Ezra was a new kid, like very new. I think he'd only been at Juniper for a month. He just sort of showed up out of nowhere at the end of the school year. Poor kid. Imagine coming to a new school two weeks before school gets out. It's really hard to make friends with so little time. I felt bad for Ezra. At lunch, if I saw him eating alone, I'd ask him to join us. He was nice. Didn't talk much. I remember the first time I heard his last name, Vale. I thought it was cool. Are you named after the town? I asked. He looked at me like he didn't know. You mean Vale? He asked. Yeah, you know, like Vale, the ski town. He thought about it and then shrugged. Yeah, I guess so. Well, it turns out he wasn't named after that Vale, because that Vale is spelled V-A-I-L. And in my yearbook, he signed his last name, V-A-L-E. How can you be a Vale and not know about that town? Weird, I thought. But Ezra was kind of like that. You know, a little weird. Still, I liked his last name, and he was okay too. I mean, I was glad, I guess, that he showed up. So I was sitting alone, eating lunch on the last week of school, and Ezra comes up to me and says, Hey buddy, are you going to the awards? Awards for what? I asked. For attendance, he said. I don't have perfect attendance, I said. I missed a few days when my sister got sick. Ezra looked around like he didn't want other kids to hear us. I don't know if that's because I'd said my sister was sick, or because he was trying to keep the award info to just us. How many days did you miss, he asked. I thought for a second. My sister had pneumonia in the middle of the year. Pretty bad. I missed a few days when she had doctor's appointments. I think, two, I said. Ezra smiled. That's nothing. You'll still be able to get at least one raffle ticket. From his pocket, Ezra pulled out three red tickets with numbers along the side. Check it out, he said. You get three if you didn't miss a single day. But you were only here for a month, I said. Ezra laughed. I know. Middle school makes no sense. That's for sure, I said. With his three raffle tickets in hand, Ezra walked towards the auditorium. Then without turning back, he motioned for me to follow him. Come on, best buddy. Would you rather sit there alone or try your luck for fabulous prizes? I wasn't sure how I felt about the best buddy part. But kids say stuff they don't mean all the time. So I got up and followed Ezra to the auditorium. My school auditorium is old. It has a round roof and old wood bleachers. They don't like us to lower the basketball hoops too much, because if the motor breaks, they'll have to replace them, both of them. At least that's what Miss Evans said. And it was Miss Evans who was sitting at the double doors leading into the auditorium when Ezra and I arrived. Ezra looked at Miss Evans and then pointing at me said, This young man needs some attendance tickets. Miss Evans turned her attention to me. Parker? she asked. Yes, I said. Ben Parker. Sorry, I mean Benjamin Parker. Congratulations, Benjamin. You've earned one ticket. 
Miss Evans handed me a single red raffle ticket and then put the corresponding stub into a bag. I gave Ezra a shrug. Hey, he said, one honest ticket is better than a thousand fake ones. He was right, and it didn't matter anyway. I didn't need another juniper sweatshirt or whatever the prize ended up being. There were a dozen other kids in the auditorium, less than I expected, but more than I hoped. I saw Lucas Carter, of course. Ava and Gabby Ramirez were there, too. The usual good student suspects. But now there was a new kid in town. Me. Well, me and Ezra. I hadn't decided if he was a typically good student yet. Maybe he was. Maybe he was a star student at his old school. Or maybe he was like me, a rebel on the rebound. I have to admit, Mr. Erie, it felt pretty good knowing I could take a prize away from one of the goody-two-shoe kids. We found an open spot on the bleachers, three rows up. Ava gave me the international middle school sign for what are you doing here. I held up my ticket and mouthed the words, All your prizes belong to us. She didn't get it. At least I doubt she did. The side door of the auditorium opened, and Principal Patel walked in. He grabbed the mic in the middle of the auditorium and tried to speak through it. Let me ask you this, Mr. Erie. Has a microphone ever worked the first time at any school event? I doubt it. Testing. Testing. One, two, three. After fumbling with the switch on the side and blowing into the top, Principal Patel finally got the award event started with a speech. I want to thank each and every one of you for your commitment to being a part of the Juniper academic community. He went on for another three paragraphs. Ezra looked at me. Does this guy always speak for so long? I'm afraid so, I said. I've only been here four weeks, but this guy makes it feel like four years. I laughed a little. I didn't really think it was a funny comment. But if you don't acknowledge a middle schooler's joke, no matter how lame, they're likely to keep trying till you do. I didn't want to get yelled at for Ezra's talking during my first award event, so I laughed. Ezra was about to say something else but just then Principal Patel opened the bag containing all the stubs. I tapped Ezra's shoulder to direct his attention forward. And now for the winner of the Work Hard, Play Hard Grand Prize, the student who will get to spend their first weekend of summer vacation at the lovely Crestwood Resort and Cabins in beautiful Crestwood is? Professor Patel reached into the bag and rolled his hand around searching for a lucky ticket stub to draw. Everyone stood up. Ezra leapt to his feet bumping into me on the way up. I tried to catch myself on the bleacher seats, but those wood benches were smooth as ice. I fell over, landing between benches on the footboards. Luckily, no one saw me, not even Ezra. Everyone was too focused on the ticket being drawn to notice me tipped over. Before I could stand up, I heard Principal Patel begin to read the numbers. Forget getting up, I thought. I too wanted to make sure I heard every number. The auditorium was quiet, save for Principal Patel's voice. Seven, one... Nine, one, four, four. I followed along, looking at the numbers on the ticket. I couldn't believe it. What are the odds? My ticket started with 719. Looking back, Mr. Erie, I know all the tickets started with the same three numbers. So the odds of matching the first three numbers were high, like 100% high. In a raffle like this, only the last three numbers matter. One, four, four, and wouldn't you know it? The ticket I was holding ended in those same numbers. I checked it over and over again. I couldn't believe it. For the first time in my life, I'd won something. Still not believing it, I waited to say anything. I guess I wanted to make sure I'd won by making sure no one else called out. 
It'd be pretty embarrassing if I was wrong, so I waited. Principal Patel read the numbers again. The ticket in my hand matched. Right here, I said. I heard nothing as I walked down the bleachers. I assume people clapped. There was probably some shouting. The bleachers beneath my feet undoubtedly creaked and rattled. But I didn't hear any of it. I was in a middle school attention coma. In middle school, when you become the focus of attention, the whole world around you stops. Your brain switches over to automatic pilot. Your words. Your movements. Your hearing. None of it is under your control anymore. All that to say, I don't remember what happened after those numbers were read. The next thing I know, I was walking home from school, eager to tell my sister and my parents to clear their weekend schedules, because I, Benjamin Parker, was a winner. As I turned the corner onto Ashwood Lane, my head was held high. This summer was going to be one to remember. How would I tell my parents? Should I lead them on a little? Make it sound like I had a terrible last day? Would they rather feel relieved and then excited? Or would they rather be surprised without the initial worry? I practiced a few versions as I walked towards our house. As it turns out, it didn't matter. Because when I was a block away, I could see our driveway, and something was off. My brain struggled to process it for a minute. Our car was in the driveway, luggage on the roof rack, my sister Lila in the yard running around with her travel backpack on. The school, I thought. Had they called my parents? Of course they had. Leave it to middle school admins to ruin a surprise. Well, I thought, at least I know we're going. Walking home, I'd worried my parents would say we'd have to delay the weekend till the end of summer. Most parents like a lengthy heads-up on any activities, and mine were no different. Seeing the car in the driveway ready to go, it was a good thing. Come on, champ, my dad said when I stepped onto our lawn. Let's get in the car and go. Champ, that had a nice ring to it. Lila ran up to me and held out her hand for a high five. She's in fourth grade. I mean, she was in fourth grade. I guess at that moment, she was officially a fifth grader. I guess you heard, I said. Heard what? She asked. About the weekend. Lila smiled. Of course I did. It's all they've been talking about. She cocked her head in the direction of my parents. That made me smile. Everyone talking about me? And in a good way, that's a change. Most improved student for sure. Everyone in the car, my dad yelled. He's not a yeller, so I figured he was being loud so the Fergusons would look out their window and be jealous of our summer kickoff plans. I didn't mind. It appeared I was going to have to get used to people noticing me. When you work hard, people notice. That's what my dad always says. He's a freelance videographer, does commercials for businesses in the area. He's been working on this big client, and so I've been getting double doses of the work hard and it will pay off advice. But you know what, Mr. Erie? For the first time, I didn't just hear what he was saying. I understood it. I dumped my backpack on the hallway floor, grabbed my yearbook and hopped into the car. I flipped through the pages as we drove away from town. Lila leaned over so she could look too. Did you get a yearbook? I asked. She looked sad. Yeah, but I'm not in it. Not my picture anyway. That's right, she'd missed picture day and makeups. I hope next year is better, she said. It will be, I said. She looked up at me. What if I get pneumonia again? Correcting her pronunciation of pneumonia had proved fruitless, Mr. Erie. 
Trust me, I tried. Don't worry, you won't get pneumonia again, I said. Lila looked at me, not just as her brother, but her big brother. And being someone's big brother is a whole different thing. How do you know I won't get it again? She asked. Because I said, you've already had it. And if you get it again, it wouldn't be pneumonia, it would be old Mona. And there is no such thing as old Mona. So you can't get it. I caught my parents' reaction in the rearview mirror. It was a reaction I'd been seeing more and more of lately. They were proud of me. There's no better feeling in the world, Mr. Erie. Besides, I said, Queen Izzy won't let you. Queen Izzy is my sister's imaginary friend. Lila laughed. You've got that right, she said. The neighborhoods and strip malls faded behind us as we drove toward Crestwood Resort. A six-lane freeway became four lanes, then two, until finally we were on a winding road lined with trees. Queen Izzy and I are bored, Lila announced. My mom turned toward the back seat. Why don't you look out the window, she said. Mr. Erie, please explain parents to me. They seem to think windows are like road trip television sets, like the world streaming by outside is the story to some great drama. I mean... Would you rather see real-life trees that are pretty average, or the biggest trees in the world but on TV? I don't know which is better, but Lila seemed to. I already did that, she said. It's just the same tree over and over and over again. No, they're all different, my dad said. Not different enough, said Lila. I looked around for some paper. Let's play a game, I said. Lila smiled. Yes, Queen Izzy loves games. Well, I said... How does she feel about tic-tac-toe? She's undefeated, said Lila. We'll see about that, I said, drawing out a couple three-by-three grids on some scratch paper. Over the next fifteen minutes, I would discover why Queen Izzy was undefeated. You see, tic-tac-toe is a cat's game, Mr. Erie. That means if you play without error, the game will always end in a tie. This, however, is only true if there are two players, and Queen Izzy and Lila always play as a team, and both get turns. I place an O, and the undefeated duo get to place two X's. It was unfair, sure, but questioning this rule would lead to an emphatic lecture on the rules for royalty in board games. I'd already won big today with the attendance award, so losing 16 straight games of tic-tac-toe didn't really bother me too much. An hour later, we turned onto a tiny road lined by a white log fence, out the front window and a good twenty feet in the air, I saw the sign. It was an old two-sided metal sign. A large fish splashing out of the left side had a red arrow on it pointing down the road. In orange neon letters, the sign read, Crestwood Resort and Cabins. The windows in the car came down, and I got a big nose full of fresh mountain air. It smelled good. We idled through the resort past a small store painted red with a white roof, then passed a log shack that said arts and crafts on it. Lila screamed when she saw a swimming pool. Can we swim? She looked so excited like she was ready to jump out of the window into the pool. There's lots to do and see, my dad said. And important people to talk with. Mainly the ones that give us the keys to the cabin. After checking in, we drove to the back of the resort. The road became dirt, and where it circled behind a group of trees... 
we found our cabin. My dad gave the car a little gas to get up the small hill and under the carport. The car doors unlocked, and summer vacation officially began. The first step before unloading the car was to pick bedrooms. My parents took the big one in the back. Lila wanted the tiny one with the bunk beds. I wasn't about to sleep on a bunk bed, so I opted for a pull-out couch in a little activity room. After unpacking, we walked to the resort store for supplies. Lila asked to swim again, or more accurately, she asked to swim again, ten more times in a row. Tomorrow, said my mom, the pool closes in a few minutes anyway. It was already late, and the stars were starting to come out. We walked back to the cabin and dined on a four-course meal of ham sandwiches, cheese puffs, pre-packed salad, and some vegetables that were fresh, probably around the time I was Lila's age. We looked out the windows as we ate. The cabin had tons of them, big ones, and you could see the stars really well. After dinner, we hung out in the main part of the cabin. It had a wood table, chairs like the ones they have at the library, and a long couch. You'll notice I didn't mention a TV. That's because there wasn't one. In fact, the only technology in the cabin was a corded phone near the kitchen and a chalkboard that someone had written, Welcome to Crestwood, on. Lila asked if we could erase it and play tic-tac-toe on it. I was done getting beat by Queen Izzy, so I suggested a different game, a game where I didn't think Lila and her imaginary friend would have an advantage. And now that I think about it, that's where it started. I mean, of course it started at school. But if we hadn't played that game... If we'd just gone to bed that night, maybe none of this would have happened. I'm sorry, but it seems my answering machine ran out of tape at this point in Mr. Parker's message. Not to worry, I'm sure he called back and left the rest of it. And I'm certain you can hear the rest of Mr. Parker's testimonial by listening to episode 7 of this podcast entitled Story 4B. End. Until then, would you please consider leaving a 5-star rating or a short written review for our agency wherever you are listening. Your review or rating helps keep independent detective agencies like ours happy and haunt-free. I know you hear this request more than a mimic machine gives misinformation, but it truly is important and would mean a great deal to everyone here at Mr. Erie's Disturbing Detective Agency. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the concluding part of this two-part message.